Open, if you would, this morning, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start a, uh, a short sermon series. I mean, long for us. We'll, we'll do six weeks on this, but short because the Sermon on the Mount has a lot of information in it. But we're going to go over the Sermon on the Mount for the next six weeks. Uh, I, I preached on this when I was preaching through Matthew uh, about six and a half years ago and uh, have been wanting to revisit it for a long time and just felt that this was a good opportunity to do that. So we'll be in Matthew 5 this week and next week. We'll be in Matthew 6 the week after that. And then we're going to spend about three weeks in Matthew 7. Here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. The poor in spirit and humble in heart are those who come to Jesus. The poor in spirit and humble in heart are those who come to Jesus. Our application is this. Humbly submit yourself to a gracious God And our prayer is this, God, graciously give us understanding in your word and deeper enjoyment of the righteousness you supply. God, graciously give us an understanding in your word and deeper enjoyment of the righteousness you supply. Matthew chapter 5, I will begin reading uh, in verse 1. This is at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, uh, only maybe a couple of months tops into his public ministry. Uh, If you kind of put all the text together, this likely happened right after they tried to kill him. He was uh, preaching in a synagogue. They ran him out of the synagogue. They intended to kill him. He came up onto a hillside, gathered the people there, and began to preach to them. And here's what he said, beginning in verse 2. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a a text that, uh, if you grew up around church, is probably very familiar with you, uh, familiar to you. It might be familiar with you, that'd be weird, but uh, this is a text that probably most of you have heard at some point in your life, and if if you're new to church, awesome, because we're going to put a little bit different spin on it, perhaps, than uh, some of us grew up with. In fact, this was a text that five and a half, sorry, six and a half years ago, uh, as I was preparing to preach it, as we were going through Matthew... I just came to Pierce and Micah, and I just said, guys, like I, I think I've been teaching this text wrong. I know we're about to go through Matthew 5 in a couple of weeks. I, I want to bounce some thoughts off of you. And those guys being way quicker to come to, to truth, and neither one of them dealing with the same kinds of insecurities and fear that I do, uh, when I shared with them what I was thinking, they were like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Wait, all right, sounds good. And, like, and I'm over here going, hold on. <laughs> I need to think about this for another few weeks. Thought, no, 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 run with it. You're good. And uh, so they come to these things a lot faster than I do. But uh, it's something that I have not been able to shake from my head now for the last six and a half years. And I'm excited to teach it. Now, I want to say this really quickly. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, frequently called the Gospels, when we read them, we read them as though Jesus is talking directly to us. And he is not talking directly to us. Uh, You have to put it in context. Jesus is a Jew among Jews. He has come to to show himself as the Savior and the Redeemer of mankind. And the Bible tells us very clearly in the book of Romans, three separate places in Romans, that 
that Christ had to come to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles and that salvation is of the Jews and then it was made available to the Gentiles. And so Jesus is coming as a fulfillment of all these Jewish prophecies and as a fulfillment of all these these Old Testament texts that were saying that the Savior is coming. And now Jesus is going around and he is revealing himself to Israel and he's saying, look, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Son of God. I'm the one uh, that you should put your faith in. And what's really interesting is uh, if you read this text, and I mean, spoilers, I'm sorry, I'm jumping. Uh, I'm going to kind of be hinting at some other stuff from later in chapter 5 and 6 and 7. But, but when we read the Sermon on the Mount, part, the, the way we kind of need to read it is as a contrasting statement. Like Jesus is saying, when he's saying, blessed are these people, and he gives us people who are poor in spirit, who mourn, uh, who are meek or gentle, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He is setting those people up in contrast to the people who are not that way. There are people who are merciful. There are people who are gentle and meek. There are people who are humble in spirit. There are people who are poor in spirit. Uh, they, they don't think too highly of themselves, poor in spirit. They're, they're not exalting themselves. They, they have a meek position, a gentle position, a humble position. Uh, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness sake. They're, they're persecuted for following God faithfully. And then the uh, unstated in this section, but will be stated in the later verses, is this other category of people who are arrogant and who are self-sufficient and who believe righteousness is a matter of their own effort and a matter of their own work. And they're proud of who they are and they, they make sure that when they pray, I'm getting into chapter six a little bit, but when they pray, they make sure that they're seen. When they give, they make sure they give with trumpets so everybody knows how much they're giving. Uh, when they fast, they walk around with sad faces so everybody will be really impressed by how much they're fasting. And so there are two categories, chapters five and six are, are digesting these two categories of people, the kind of people who genuinely come to God, who, who are humble and meek and gentle, and then the kind of people who are arrogant and proud and self-sufficient and self-righteous and do not come to God because they love themselves more than they love God. And, and that's kind of what's being said here. And what he's doing is Jesus is giving his audience. Now, remember, the Jews, good Jews, like people who, who knew the scriptures are waiting for a savior. They're waiting for the Messiah. And, and you have this group of people in the crowd, these religious kind of leaders called Pharisees and also scribes and Sadducees. But you have these religious groups of people. We'll primarily talk about the Pharisees because that's who Jesus is going to talk about here in just a minute. We'll talk more about that next week. But you have this, this religious group of people, the Pharisees, who made it their aim to not bring people to righteousness, their aim was to let everybody else know we're righteous and you're not. That was their goal. Their, their goal wasn't to, to say, listen, we found righteousness in the Savior. We found righteousness in the mercy of God. We found righteousness in the grace of God. Their aim was to say, we're righteous because of the things we do, and this is why you're not righteous. And now Jesus, standing on this hillside, talking to a group of Jews, of which are some low and destitute Jews, but also some Pharisees, Jesus goes, let me tell you about the people who really know God. And with every statement he makes, he is excluding the Pharisees, these self-righteous, proud people, and he is including the low and humble who have previously been excluded. So anybody ever been excluded from anything? Anybody ever picked last every time? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I am not an athlete. I learned how, like, uh, this is ridiculous, I know, but like I, I had seizures when I was a kid, 
uh, and, and was on a lot of medicine. And so I didn't even get to ride a bike or climb a tree or anything until I was about nine when I finally came off the medicine. My parents were afraid that I'd have a seizure in the street or something like that. And so, uh, so I learned how to ride a bike when I was about eight and a half or nine. I remember being nine-ish and having training wheels on my bike and being super embarrassed. And uh, there's a really traumatic story in there, but we won't talk about that now. But, uh, uh, and, and so when I finally got off the medicine and I could go climb trees and stuff, like I, I climbed every tree I could climb and I jumped off every roof I could jump off and hopped every fence that I could hop and like all this stuff, right? But I, but I still couldn't catch. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with seizures. Uh, I think that was just me, very poorly coordinated. I, I learned to catch in college, <laughs> I know that's weird to say, but I learned to catch in college because uh, I played Frisbee with these guys all the time. And, uh, and so I got, I loved Frisbee. Frisbee was something that I, I could do well. Um, but otherwise, I was always the guy that was picked last. Uh, I, we, we used to play, our college group used to play full contact football. Uh, some of the guys, all of them were football players. I was a swimmer in high school. And one Sunday a, a month, we'd go and hit each other uh, and just have fun. And, uh, and I was always the last guy picked uh, out of the 20 of us or so that played. And no one ever threw the ball to me. But what was really great about that is that no one ever guarded me. And so if we needed like three yards because the ball never came to me, they'd go, all right, Ryan, we need three yards. And no one ever guarded me because Ryan never got the ball because Ryan sucked at it, you know. And so they'd send me out three yards, they'd throw me the ball, and I'd catch it, and we'd get the first down. I, I have always been the last guy picked. I, I'm saying that because Jesus has his audience here. These people who are like, man, we're not righteous. We're not worthy. The Pharisees are over here going, we're righteous. We're worthy. And you have this group of people who feel like, man, God doesn't like me. God doesn't want me. They, they feel like they're the last ones picked. They're looking at the Pharisees. Here's what I need you to understand. We have, the, we have the benefit of hindsight, and we can look on the Pharisees, and we can see what Jesus says about the Pharisees and how he calls them hypocrites and how he calls them sons of the devil and how he calls them sa- uh, ser- serpents. We, we can see that. But the crowd that day looked at the Pharisees and said, those are the guys who are righteous, and the righteous people are telling me I'm not righteous. And the righteous people are telling me I'm not worthy. And the righteous people are telling me I'm not enough. And the righteous people are telling me that I can't can't please God. And Jesus comes in, and his message is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I need you to comprehend how beautiful that is. That's being picked first to the person who has always been picked last. Here's the crowd, and Jesus stands up and he says, Listen, He says, I I just want you to know, for those of you who are poor in spirit, those of you who think I'm not enough, those of you who think I don't have enough, I'm not sufficient enough, I just need you to know the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is great news. This is a melodious sound striking the ears of his audience. He is shifting the paradigm. He is flipping it on its head. And now they're going, whoa, wait a minute. And you have these two factions in this audience of the people who are uh, humble and gracious and then the people over here who are arrogant and and self-righteous. And he goes, I I just need you to know the kingdom of heaven belongs to you guys. This is the first time they've heard that because the people who are entrusted with teaching the scriptures are saying, you're not enough. And Jesus comes in and says, that's exactly right. (laughs) You're not enough. And for those who are not enough, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are, 
Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. This is a, this is a huge slap in the face to the self-righteous Pharisees. There's nothing meek about them. There's nothing gentle about them. If, if every time, this is, this is a different system, but if, if every Sunday you showed up and I just said, you know what, you're never going to be righteous, you're never going to be holy, you're not worth anything, and we don't like you, you wouldn't come very long. But this is the religious system that these Jewish people were growing up in, and in their mind, how many of you, how many of you know that sometimes people just believe the preacher because the preacher's the preacher? How many of you know that that happens? These people just believed the Pharisees because the Pharisees were the Pharisees. These are the guys who know the scripture. They must be right. I must not be worth it. I must not be enough. I must not be sufficient. I must not be someone who could please God. And Jesus comes in and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Get, get, get the contrast here. And, I, and I'm, I'm touching future texts, but... You have a group of people who are going, man, we just want to be righteous. We, 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 just, we just want whatever it means to be righteous. And you've got another group of people who are like, we already are. And these people over here who think, man, we can't do it. We can't be righteous. I want it. Jesus goes, guess what? It's yours. He's going to tell them in chapter 7. We'll get to this in about four weeks. But he's going to tell them in chapter 7, ask, seek, and knock. And it's yours. You want righteousness? Right here. It's, it's here to be given to you. And, and he is calling these people, he, he's, what he's going to do, I should have told you this at the beginning, what he's going to do is he's going to deconstruct their system for righteousness, and he's going to replace their system of righteousness with himself as righteousness. And he's telling them, listen, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's yours. You're going to be satisfied. But the people over here who are like, uh, I've already got it, I don't need it, these are these are encouraging statements to this group of people, but to the arrogant group of people, it's insulting. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, were definitely not merciful. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those, uh, let me stop for just a minute. Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God and be called sons of God. What Jesus is doing here is he's telling this audience, this Jewish audience, don't lose sight of that. And he's telling this Jewish audience, the standard for righteousness that you've looked at is not righteousness. In fact, next week we'll talk about this, but in a few verses, Jesus says, unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees, you'll never see heaven. This, this false standard of righteousness, these Pharisees, these self-righteous, arrogant people, he goes, this never gets you life. And he is saying to them, a desire for God a desire, a longing for God, a, a place of a humble heart. He goes, that's what draws you into the presence of God. And so I want to show you a couple of things. One of the things that he says here is this, uh, and I'm going to come back to verses 10, uh, 11, and 12 in just a moment, but, but there is this theme throughout the scripture. We, we see it in James 4, 6. We see it in 1 Peter 5, 5, that uh, both of these guys quote the text that says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's what Jesus is conveying here. 
that God is opposed to those who are puffed up. God is opposed to those who are self-sufficient. God is opposed to those who believe righteousness rests on their works and their abilities and their accomplishments. And God gives grace to those who come to him humbly. God gives grace to those who, who come to him knowing their weakness. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, well, really in 12, he says, I would most gladly boast in my weakness. Why? Because in my weakness, Christ is demonstrated as strong. He goes, I'll go on to speak about all of my weakness because there God's power is demonstrated in me. Paul talks about how, how uh, it, it is, it, it is his, his affection for Christ. It is not his accomplishments. It's, it's, why, it's why Paul says in Philippians 3, we've looked at this recently, he goes, I consider all things lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. The good and the bad, all the things that I've accomplished, all the things that I've felt at, everything is lost. That, that my life, my righteousness, my salvation is not a matter of me, but a matter of Christ. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says that in Matthew chapter 11. He says that to a group of Jews who have been taught their whole life, work harder, do more, be better. And they're weary of it. You know, Micah said that the last few weeks haven't gone like he expected them to go. He has some sermons to write uh, today on the road. Um, Micah knows the scripture so well, has preached so much, that the only thing that's kept him from being able to write those sermons probably is just the moment, just the breath, to be able to sit down and do it. Um, Micah, Micah has this ability to... Uh, I don't know, Micah has an ability that I, I haven't ever encountered in any other friend I've ever had where he can kind of just see the end of the story from the beginning. If, if, if you come to him and you, you give him a line, he'll, he'll see right through all the garbage that you're saying and he'll know what your point is and he's like, no, 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 stop. Uh, he, he just kind of sees the end from the beginning. But one of the things that's incredibly beautiful about Micah, as smart as he is, is that Micah doesn't rest on his own strength. He, he rests in God. He trusts that God is the provider. One of the things that Micah and I, friends for nearly 19 years, have talked about over and over and over is how easy it is for us in the past to worry about provision for our family when we have seen God be faithful over and over and over again. We've never lacked. We've both been down to zero before in our bank accounts, but we've never lacked. We've always had. And, and one of the things that I, I think is a struggle for us as Christians is Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I, I think, I, I think uh, the struggle for like Micah and I when we're thinking about how do we provide for our families, the struggle, is, the, the struggle comes in when we say, what do I need to do? How do I fix it? It's, it's my responsibility. Instead of saying, God, I'm leaving this in your hands. When, when righteousness, let me say it this way, when righteousness is a matter of our effort, that is weighty. That's weighty. That's heavy. Because you'll never be righteous on your own. When righteousness is a matter of Christ's work, that's beautiful and light. But, but that kind of righteousness requires someone to say, I can't do it. I need you. That kind of righteousness, the only kind of righteousness there is, requires us to get to the end of ourselves and say, I need a savior. I need something outside of me. What Jesus is saying here is, if you want righteousness, if you want to know God, if you want, if you want the kingdom of heaven, what he's saying to these people is, it's not what the Pharisees have peddled to you. 
It comes from a heart where you're poor in spirit. It comes from a heart of meekness. It comes from a heart of gentleness. It comes from a heart of peacemakers. It comes from a heart where, where you have come to the end of yourself and you have, you have been done with pride and you have, you have submitted yourself to God. The whole Bible, Old and New Testament, highlights how God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The whole Bible. In fact, uh, one of my a couple of stories that I really enjoy is in the Old Testament, there's this King Rehoboam. Rehoboam's the son of King Solomon. And the Bible says for the first three years of, of Rehoboam's reign, he submitted himself to God. But then once the kingdom was firmly established in his hands, he became proud and he rejected God. Why? Because he's like, look at what I have accomplished. The moment he looked at his accomplishments. The moment he rested on his laurels, the moment, uh, the moment he, he said that this is what I have done, he turned away from God. God said to the people who were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, he goes, when you come into the promised land, he goes, don't forget me. When you come into the promised land and you have houses and you have uh, vineyards and you have crops in the field and your stalls are full of animals, don't forget me. And you know what happened? They came into the promised land, having been destitute for 40 years. They came into the promised land. They were richly provided for, and the moment they were richly provided for, they rejected God. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.6, therefore, submit yourself into the mighty hand of God. Submit yourself into the mighty hand of God, and he will raise you up in due time. The Christian life and what Christ is inviting these Jews to is not works-based righteousness, but a righteousness that says, God, I need you. It comes from a place of humility. It comes from a place of brokenness. It comes from a place of being empty. It comes from a place of being unable to satisfy the requirements. And we come to the place and we're like, I am not righteous because of my own work, but I am righteous because of the work of Christ. This is something that, by the way, I have tried to repeat to you for the last like 16 months. This isn't the first time that we've said, thank you, God, for the righteousness you supply in a prayer. And it's not because I'm running out of ideas. It's because the theme is so pure and true and right that, that this isn't, this Christian journey, this knowing God isn't about our effort, but about the work of Jesus. And the Pharisees were standing on one side saying, look at me. And the poor and the meek and the broken are going, we just, we need something outside of us. And Jesus goes, here I am. It's a matter of humility. In fact, so that you can better see this contrast, that this is two groups of people, the, the, those picked last and the, the uh, you know, whatever, the self-righteous Pharisees. I don't want to say team captains because maybe you were a team captain, and that doesn't mean that you're a son of the devil. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it just, Pharisees are bad guys. Anybody ever heard a preacher say, look, some of you are acting like Pharisees? Christians can't act like Pharisees. Christians never knew Jesus, all right? What? What did I say? Thank you. Yeah, Christians can't be Pharisees because Pharisees never knew Jesus. Thank you. Let's not put this one on the, <laughs> online today. So we can because you know what? I screw up sometimes. It's all right. I need Jesus. And so Christians, uh, if, if, if anybody ever says to you, you as a believer, and they're like, man, you're kind of acting like a Pharisee, you can, you can defiantly say, no, I'm not, because the, Christ, ah, the Pharisees, now it's just in my head, the Pharisees never believed in Christ. And so, so listen to this, verses 10, 11, and 12, 10, 11, and 12. 
Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for this is the way they persecuted the prophets. So this, this comes from Matthew 23, where Jesus is about to die. Uh, and he is, he is saying, woe to you Pharisees. And, and listen to what he says, Matthew 23, 29. Woe to you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we have lived, had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are the sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So this is, I, I don't know, like this is heavy. This is very heavy handed. And so here's what happens. The, the scribes and the Pharisees are going, man, if we had lived in the days of our dad, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. And Jesus goes, so, so then you admit that you're the descendants of the people who killed the righteous prophets. You're the ones who did that. You're, you're, your parents were the ones who killed the righteous prophets. He goes, how are you possibly going to escape hell, you sons of the devil, you vipers? And, and so here's what's interesting, right? Back in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people persecute you and speak evil against you falsely because of me. This is the same way they treated the prophets. Who is the they that treated the prophets? The self-righteous, arrogant ones who did not need God. He's saying to them, there were a group of people, even in the days of the prophets, who believed we don't need God. And when they heard people who humbly served God speak in the name of God, they put them to death. Jesus says to him, he says, on you, to the Pharisees, on you will come all the righteous blood that has ever been shed from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. All this blood is your fault, Pharisees, he says. He puts it on their feet. He says, this is your responsibility. And here's what I'm trying to say is is that when Jesus says to these Jews, what, what Jesus is trying to do is drive a wedge between their current way of thinking and the correct way of thinking. The current way of thinking is the Pharisees are right. The Pharisees are righteous. The Pharisees are holy. And what the Pharisees are telling us is, we'll never be righteous and holy. And Jesus is, is, is building a barrier between that. Like taking an axe, in my head it's, a, it's an axe. I don't know why. And he is cleaving those two ideologies apart. And he is saying, these guys do not know God. Those who rely on themselves do not know God. The kind of people who come to know God, like the prophets of old, are those who are poor in spirit brokenhearted, mourners, gentle, peacemakers. These are the kind who come to know God. It comes from a place of humility. Let me give you an example. Here's our application today. Uh, Humbly submit yourself to a gracious God. Humbly submit yourself to a gracious God. If you're here today and you have never asked God to save you, let let me just tell you something. Uh, You've never asked for God's righteousness. You've never asked that that your sins be forgiven. Um, Let me just say to you, people who don't People who don't feel like they need to be saved don't come to a Savior. I mean, that makes sense, right? If, if you don't think you've done anything wrong, you're not coming to Jesus. Listen to this, this story. I'll read it uh, quickly. Uh, this is from Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Uh, I'm in verse 37 if you're a note taker. 
Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner was there. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and then kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon, the Pharisee answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he has canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to her, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table began to say among themselves, Who is this that can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Two categories of people. A Pharisee invites Jesus into the house for dinner. Uh, clearly for the look of it. For whatever reason, Jesus is a public figure. People are thronging to him. And Jesus comes in, and as is the custom, the, the owner of the house would have somebody wash the feet of his guest. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't anoint the feet of Jesus. He doesn't do anything to Jesus. Doesn't give Jesus a, a greeting, of a, a kiss greeting. You know, we don't do that anymore. I promise if you ever come to my house, I will not kiss you. Uh, um, that, I'm okay, you know. I don't know. Maybe you, that's what you were hoping for. Just not going to happen. But uh, so Jesus comes in, and this woman who is a sinner, the implication in a parallel text is that she's a prostitute. Uh, this woman who is a sinner comes in and she comes to the feet of Jesus and weeps over his feet and washes his feet with her hair and then breaks the, the anointing oil and anoints his feet, kisses his feet. And this guy, this Pharisee is like, this is a dirty woman. If this guy were really a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who's touching him. Right? Pharisee, Simon, it doesn't call him a Pharisee. You can ask me about that later. Sorry. Simon. Uh, Simon believes he's righteous. And because he believes he's righteous, he has no need for Jesus. Doesn't handle Jesus with grace, doesn't handle Jesus with longing, doesn't handle Jesus with reverence. Because he's righteous in his own mind, he doesn't believe he needs Christ. In comes a woman who knows she's not righteous. And what is her view of Christ? I need you. You are who I need. You are the Holy One. You are the King Most High. You are the Anointed One. You are God. And her, her correct view of herself and her correct view of God brings her to him. Jesus says to the Pharisee, he goes, who, who says in his heart, and Jesus knows his heart, he's like, man, if he was a prophet, he'd know the kind of woman who's touching him. Jesus says to, the, to Simon, he says, let me give you an example. There's a guy, there's somebody who owed 500 denarii, that's 500 days paychecks, and somebody else who owes 50 days paychecks, and both of them get their debt canceled. Which one loves the master more? Simon says, I guess the one who was forgiven more, and he goes, you're correct. The one who is forgiven more loves more. When you recognize where, how deeply you've sinned and you recognize that that's been forgiven, you love God more. Now, carry this thought. Jesus is not saying Simon's not a sinner. Jesus is saying Simon doesn't believe he's a sinner. Simon doesn't believe he's guilty of anything. And if you don't believe you're guilty of anything, what do you need forgiveness for? And if I don't need forgiveness, why am I interested in a savior? 
And when the Savior shows up and says, I'm here to give my life for you, to shed my blood for your forgiveness, and you're like, well, I've only sinned a little bit. I guess that's helpful. You don't love very much. Not only do you not love Christ very much, you don't love people very much. I think I've shared with you before until I was about 16 years old, my belief was, because I had become a Christian at three, I was a good kid, I always did what my parents told me to do. My belief was I didn't need, like, this was actually my belief, and I am embarrassed to say it, but my belief was I didn't need as much of the blood of Jesus as some of the other kids that I went to school with. I knew how they behaved. That's arrogance. That's pride. And what ends up happening to this woman your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why? Because she came to Christ from a place of humility. This is what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He is saying, quit resting in your own ability. Quit resting in your own so-called righteousness and rest in me. Come to me. Come to me. This is the invitation. Ask and seek and knock. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, you who are poor. Come to me, you, you who are destitute. If you're going, man, I, I, just, I just feel like I'm never enough. I just feel like I couldn't ever be enough. I just feel like I'm not righteous enough. Great news for you. Great news for you. The full package of righteousness, the full package of enoughness, the full package of holiness is in Jesus. Great news. You're right where you should be. You're not enough. You and I are not righteous. You and I are not holy on our, on our own. In Christ, we are righteous. In Christ, we are enough. In Christ, we are sufficient. In Christ, we are holy. In Christ, we are pleasing to God. Outside of Christ, we are not those things. This is not just Jesus saying, hey, here's some good ideas. Y'all should be pure in heart. Hey, here's some good ideas. Be meek. Hey, here's some good ideas. Here's what I hear people say. They'll say, you know so-and-so? Man, they're so gentle. And you know what it says about the gentle? It says that they'll inherit the earth. Like, you understand that if we're in Christ, all of us, all of us get a resurrected life. All of us get the kingdom of heaven. This text isn't about different people's personality traits. This text is, is a prescription saying the people like the Pharisees who do not believe they need God will never find God. And the people who say, man, I am desperate for God, those are the people who find him. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's drawing a line. So that brings us to our prayer. And our prayer is simply this, that God would give us a deeper understanding of his word and a deeper enjoyment of the righteousness that comes from him. This is Jesus talking to the Jews, but the truth shouldn't be lost on us. None of us are righteous of our own accord. None of us are righteous because of our own works. None of us are righteous because of the things that we've done. For that matter, none of us are unrighteous because of the things we've failed to do. Righteousness is found in Christ. I, I hope that until I draw my last breath, that I will feel this desperation for my Savior Jesus. That I will be at the place where I say, this is not about who Ryan is or what Ryan has done or what Ryan has accomplished, but it is always about who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what Christ has accomplished. That it's not self-congratulatory. 
that it's not about my accolade, that it's not about my rewards or my participation ribbons, that it's about who Christ is. Take just a moment, would you? And just ask. Ask that God would give us an understanding of the word. And ask that God would give us a deeper enjoyment of the righteousness that he has supplied us. God, we thank you that uh, righteousness is not a matter of what we've done. I truly thank you for that. God, we who have named the name of Jesus, we who have declared him to be our king and our God, our savior, we who have been washed by the blood and been made righteous and holy, we, we've come to that place because we've recognized that, God, we can't have righteousness on our own that we can't, we can't adopt ourselves into your family, that this is the work that you've done. God, we come to you in humility and brokenness, asking that even this day, even this day, God, you would remind us that righteousness is based on what you've accomplished through Christ. Let us rest in that. Let us be encouraged by it. Let us be strengthened by it. For all the things this week that haven't gone our way, for all the things this week that we've failed at, let us rejoice that our righteousness is still intact. That as Micah said earlier, God, that, that none, nothing of our identity, nothing of who we are in Jesus has been changed or altered. God, let us rejoice in the truth of the holiness you've supplied. God, give us strength give us strength to glorify you and to serve you, to make much of your name and to rest God like Paul did in our weakness so that your strength can be displayed. It's in your name we pray. Amen.